Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So, a uh, different episode this week, and I think you'll like the changes. Dan Hardy. Uh, I can't wait for you to have listened to this chat. I, I could have gone longer with Dan. I fi- I fi- I've always found Dan a very, very interesting guy, and uh, you'll find out why. He had... We were making, as we were doing this chat, we, I was actually making notes of what he was saying. It's fascinating. It's a brilliant chat with him. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, rate and review it on iTunes. If you've got any emails for us, questions when we return, oc at ultimatecouchfans.com. Enjoy. Dan Hardy. I had this image of you, Dan, there uh, running across your uh, front room and sort of doing, uh, doing leaps and handstands and twists to get to the phone. <laughs> no, that's what the wife was doing while I was making the smoothie. I'd, I, I needed to make some breakfast. I know it's uh, half four in the afternoon, but this is my breakfast time. Is it? Why is your breakfast time? Well, I, I just I tend to work into the night. I don't. I, mean, I think it's partly to do with the the UFC pay per view schedule. I stay up and watch the fights live. So, you know, usually I'm getting to bed at you know sort of six o'clock on Sunday morning, and that kind of messes up my my weekly schedule. And then I, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a night owl anyway. I, I, when I I do my best work between sort of midnight and four o'clock, so. I tend to stay up. <laughs> when did you, how long did it take you to realise that? Because most people don't know that actually we do have unique body clocks and I've had to readjust mine because I've been doing breakfast radio for 19 years and so I, I've had to adjust and learn how do I you know, do my best work, if you can say that about talking out loud and playing Nickelback for a living, but people don't realise that everyone's got their own kind of circadian rhythm. How long did it take you to realise that's where you actually could do your best stuff? I, I, think, I think I've always known, to be honest. I've, I've never... When I was a kid, I always I always enjoyed the, the night times. I never liked going to bed. I always used to hate waking up in the morning. I mean, I know that's kind of cliche. A lot of people do. But I, I remember watching, the, there was a documentary, a BBC documentary about it. And they, they talked about how some people find it physically uncomfortable. To, like, I have a flight out tomorrow morning from Birmingham at uh, 6, 6, 10 in the morning. So, like, I'm, I'm going to be parked by 4 o'clock. And that's, that's nightmarish for me. So what's better for me is to stay up. I'm just not going to go to bed. So basically, you're you're now just behaving like a teenager. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, <laughs> with the sulking as well because I've got to get up in the morning. <laughs> I've got to say, I loved uh, I loved your book, Part Reptile. I thought it's a it's a cracking read, and your voice really comes through in it. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, I had uh, I had a lot of good help with it. I was I was fortunate to have a um, a really good writer to assist me with it. It was uh, quite a therapeutic project, you could say. <laughs> And are you going to are you going to write more? Do you think you'll carry on and do more books? I, I will do. Yeah, I'd like to write something entirely myself next time. Um, I have I have probably probably four books that are about seventy or eighty percent complete. So just really need my my entire attention for a month or two. Um, yeah, it, it, it made sense to do the autobiography first because that kind of sits as a foundation 
for whatever else I, I want to write about because they're going to be varied subjects on, on various different things. So it made sense for the, the autobiography to come first, but it, it's such a, I mean, I, 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 I didn't, to be honest, feel like I had enough life experience to write an autobiography. And then second of all, like to sit down and just write about yourself is, is very, very difficult to do. Um, and, and, to, and, to, and to give people what you think, what they really need to know about you as well. Like I had this, I had a, this, this chap out me, his name's Paul Gibson, he's, he was my ghostwriter. And he's an excellent boxing journalist, but he was new to MMA and he didn't really know anything about me. So we, we sat for hours and hours and just had conversations about things that happened in my life, times that happened in my life. You know, he brought to, he brought my attention to things that I'd not even I'd not even thought about since that happened. You know, but but they turned out to be quite relevant in the story. So I, you know, I was grateful for that, and and I, I couldn't have really written something autobiographical without that help. Also, what I get a sense of, you know, as a fight fan, we really see the UFC countdown and some of the training like a six minute montage, and it looks great. It's like a Nike commercial. We see the fight. You know, we get excited if your favorite fighter wins. You get annoyed with them if they don't win. You forget about all the build-up to it and how relentlessly difficult that is and also how lonely it is at times. And reading your book, I got a really good sense of that. Yeah, I, you know, for me, that's, that's kind of part of the beauty of the sport, you know. It is that, it is that solo journey. That kind of, it's, it's a vision quest, really. I mean, yeah. you know, without wanting to sound cheesy, it really is when, when you put yourself through such an intense... Uh, high pressure well you know the training camps intense then obviously that the fight itself is high pressure whether it's in a local leisure center or in in the octagon in vegas it, it's it's a high pressure situation where you've got to be a hundred percent at your best and there's a there are so many factors that go into that so trying to balance all those things that really it really helps you understand you, you who you are as a person and what you you know where your strengths and weaknesses are, and I, I think the the beauty of the struggle is really what needs to be communicated a bit more. I think. I mean, I know the UFC they like to kind of glamorize everything, and you know we're all living like pro athletes and driving nice cars and wearing nice clothes, and we're doing this because it's really easy and we love doing it. And you know the the reality is it's a struggle. I mean, you you, you saw how Daniel Cormier reacted after John Jones beat him. I mean, you, you can see how much it means to him. Oh, it's it's, it's everything. Yeah, it, it literally is everything. It, it literally is. And you see it for some of the fighters, when you when you lose or when you have a loss like that, you can see where they walk away and you know that for the next couple of weeks they're going to be questioning who they are as a person, not that just they, they lost in that time and place, but it really makes them question who they are. That must be really hard. Yeah, it is. And it's, and the other thing, that's, and this is why teams are so, it's, it's so important, I think, and I'd be interested to know how it is in boxing because boxers tend to build their team around themselves for each training camp. Whereas in mixed martial arts, we tend to have a team which is more like a family that you know we, we help each other out for fights. So you've always got other people that are going through it and experiencing the same things. So you know, for, for me and for my teammates, I thought it was always important for us to um, you know to, to be able to kind of come together after a loss and talk about what happened. And why and and how we change it for next time because you know we all learn from it and and uh, I think as a martial artist I learned that quite early on that well I mean you know John Cameron nailed it with, with the, the name of his book you know win or learn it, you, you've got to learn from everything even other people's mistakes you know I've learned so much from cornering other fighters and feeling their grief when they make a mistake and knowing I'm never going to make that mistake myself because I've witnessed it firsthand fortunately it's not on my record but unfortunately 
I, you know, one of my one of my brothers experienced it, and I see how difficult that is for him. You're right. The thing I learned uh, doing various martial arts over the years and just dabbling in it really, Dan, is that there's a real brotherhood. Like, well, I did jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a while, and, you know, you'd have guys and women who were there who were trying to basically, you know, submit you and crush your neck. And then at the end of it, everyone would go around hugging each other, and it was genuine. They all knew what you'd been through. You'd shared something together. You'd all had to struggle and be present. And I always thought it was quite amazing how people came together afterwards, and you felt this real connection with everybody. You know, it's, it's such a it's such a beautiful thing, you know, to to find a common ground with a bunch of strangers, especially in such an intimate environment where you're, you know, you, you're trying to strangle each other and sweating in each other's faces. And I mean, it, it's quite unpleasant. It can be claustrophobic. It can be it can be smelly. It can be gross. It's all uncomfortable unless you're, you know, it's the best guy in the room. Um, so. You, you you do you, you kind of grow together you know i mean I, i've yelled at my teammates and they, they've yelled at me and you know we've we've shoved each other around and 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 then you know we, you know we've cried on each other's shoulder it, it's there, there is a there is a real strong connection that that comes with that time spent bleeding together you know much like you know like like people in the military you know you, you, i've i've seen that common bond between yeah. soldiers when i've traveled around to military bases it's, i feel a similar thing with my teammates but what you've chosen and what you've connected to the martial arts as well because some some martial artists it seems to me looking from the outside just as a fan are athletes and they're, they're a pursuit of perfection there are other people that really also connect as well to the spiritual journey and push themselves through the discomfort and realizing that's where growth is whereas a lot of people these days we're not very good. We're very lazy beings these days. We have very sedentary lifestyles. We we shirk away from anything that makes us uncomfortable. But actually, finding comfort in that discomfort—that's where the growth is in life, isn't it? Without a doubt, you know, without a doubt. I, I always talk about. I've, I've had disagreements with coaches in the past about running. Some coaches really love running. Other coaches don't like it. And I've kind of gone back and forth on it because you know it's not sport specific. But for me. The, the 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 running the process of running is is coming to terms with and functioning within that discomfort, and and I think you know that's that's a part of the beauty of mixed martial arts and really a part of the beauty of losing. You know, there are some guys out there still with unbeaten records and losing is losing is a luxury that some people have not experienced because you can gain so much from it. It can it can shoot you off on a different tangent give you a different perspective on things it can change the people around you which is always a, a a good thing to be considering when you're a fighter uh, you know especially when you start to get some level of success there are people that that you know come come along they find their way into the team, into the team and they might not have the best interest for you so you've got to examine everything after a loss and when you're when you're at the high level and you're in the spotlight because you've got so many other people critiquing you as well it, it's it forces you to face yourself. <laughs> you know what? I think it's fascinating what you said about losing is a luxury because uh, one of the best uh, post-fight speeches I've seen in a couple of years is uh, Dominic Cruz after he lost. When he turned up at the press conference, he didn't sit down. He just spoke really openly for 15 minutes after he lost to Cody Garbrandt. Do you know the bit I'm on about? When he's just there for 15 minutes being really, really open and vulnerable and talking about life and what it is to lose, and what does it really mean as a human being? I, I watched it a couple of times. I was kind of blown away by it. You know, it's it's one of the few press press conferences that has stayed in my mind as well. Yeah, I'm I'm always interested in in Dominic Cruz and his interviews. He's, he's a fascinating individual. Mm. He's, he's you know he's a real wordsmith. He's got a way of putting sentences together to help people understand where he's at and and the emotions that he's feeling. 
Um, and I mean, you know, th- that did stick out to me because he did. He came in. I remember he stood there. He had his sunglasses on and his hand in his pocket. And there was something so matter of fact about what had happened. It was it was something outside of himself, something that he was able to separate from and re- reflect upon immediately. Which, you know, especially if you, you know, especially on the journey that he's been on and the ups and downs and the, yep. you know, the defending his belt and, and all of a sudden this young upstart from, you know, the, the prodigy of his nemesis, Uriah Faber. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's a fascinating story. So for him to be able to separate from it and analyse it, it just shows you how smart of an individual he is. Yeah, and he wasn't caught up in the ego because obviously that's the hard thing for a lot of fighters because it's such, it is such an ego-driven thing. I'm going to win. I'm going to dominate. You know, I'm going to submit you. And then to not have that happen by a younger guy, your ego, you've got to keep that in check. Without a doubt. And that, that was something that, for me, I felt was a real turning point for Conor McGregor when, when he lost to Diaz because there was always a question with, with, the, with the rise to fame that he had, how he was going to deal with that first defeat, with that first, you know almost embarrassment because with the way you talk with the way he talks going into fights you know I felt that myself before Marcus Davis there was a point on fight day when I thought to myself oh you know if I lose this I'm going to look really really stupid yeah so you know there is an embarrassment that comes with that confidence that you put out before a fight and there was was always a question in my mind as to whether he was going to handle the defeat well or not and I thought he handled it excellently you know he, he again like Dominic Cruz, he separated it from himself. He was able to step back and say, these were the things that were incorrect. These are the things I can walk away and, 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 uh, and improve upon. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and I like the ebb and flow of people's careers. I mean, you know, look at Michael Bisping's journey. And, oh, it's incredible. You know, he's been on, you know, he's been, he's been almost out of the sport. He's been almost sidelined with, with a, a difficult injury in his eye. You know, there's such a fascinating story. And He's only got one eye, really, Dan. I, you know, I don't know how how much of a function his his other eye is. No. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it must be a problem for him. So, how do you then with all? Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. All this is that you get so much from martial arts and the journey. And, you know, I see your Instagram feed. You're enjoying the training. You, you enjoy that. How do you cope with life after fighting? Are you going to go back to fighting at some point? Uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still not sure how I'm coping with life after fighting, to be honest. You know, it, it affects me on a, on a daily basis because it's, it's weird to not have that, that as, a, as a, um, a, a driving factor in my life, you could say, as, as something that brings a need for structure. Like the structure of my life now is pretty much based upon the UFC fight schedule. You know, yeah. I, I live around the UFC fight schedule. It dictates, you know, w- w- where I am, uh, what time I'm sleeping, what uh, you know, what I'm w- watching during the day, and then if there's ever a gap in that schedule, I'm watching something on Flow Grappling or Box Nation. So, you know, I, I'm 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 all I'm completely immersed in the sport, even though I don't have a, an outlet for it myself. But um, there are there are positives and negatives to it. The, the frustration is, you know, it keeps me it keeps me learning. It keeps me getting in the gym and trying because I still want to be improving myself. I still want to feel that. 
Um, and the good thing is that I, I, I remove myself from every equation. You know, whenever I'm watching these fights, I'm not analyzing an opponent of mine. I'm not looking at somebody and thinking, how do I beat this person? I'm looking at what they do well and, and trying to trying to understand how they approach the sport of mixed martial arts. So it's this this kind of forced time away from competition has, has really broadened my ability to see, to, to understand how other people view martial arts and how they interpret the you know the what well, the sport as, as it is i mean constantly evolving always changing so with all that though will you ever go back into fighting because it must be so hard sometimes when you're sat there commentating and you can feel what they're feeling and you're you must be one these guys are a couple of feet away and you've been there and you must sometimes really feel you know their heartbeat and the, the energy of what's going on them and you feel like god i'd give anything to be back in there oh without a doubt without a doubt yeah i mean there are so many so many occasions when I'm daydreaming about fighting. I'm daydreaming about, you know, how my next training camp is going to... I've, you know, I, I meet with coaches from time to time and discuss things. Uh, within the past sort of six months, I've, I've I've had a few interesting conversations with people about, you know, possible future preparations for fights and where I would go and what I would do. And, you know, th- there, is still a, there is still a drive there. I'd still like to compete. Um, I'd love to compete in mixed martial arts one more time at least. Um, I'd like to kickbox. I'd like to do, you know, maybe glory or some kind of Muay Thai um, I'd, I'd love to do professional grappling tournaments, you know. And I know that at some point in the future, I want to compete in something a little more obscure, like kendo, you know, yep. something you know, Japanese sword fight, some, something like that. There, there's always a drive for competition, and I like the structure that competition gives me in my life. Um, my timetable, I, I, I'm enjoying this journey as a commentator at the moment, and I'm learning so much, and it's allowing my, me time to heal a few things in my body and. Um, add a few things to my game so um, I think the opportunity will present itself I think the the, the right opportunity will present itself and I think I'll know it when it does So who is your favourite fighter in the UFC right now who is it that really excites you who are you looking forward to seeing fighting at the moment because you know there's a great fight this weekend uh, with Saronian Till and uh, obviously GSP and Bisping but who out of all the great fighters you've got in the UFC at the moment on the roster who if you had to pick just one who would it be Dan? Uh, that's a, that's a tough question. You know, I, Darren Till is a, a real a real special fighter. I think he's got an excellent opportunity this week, and I'm yeah. looking forward to calling that fight. The, the two that, that always stand out for me, and it's difficult to separate them, is that Thomas Almeida and Mirbek Tysonov. You know, the the you know young up and coming prospects that yep. are just that have been outstanding in their career so far. And you look at Almeida, he had a, a small setback, but other than that, he looked unstoppable. Tysonov looks like nobody can touch him. He, he needs a top ten opponent now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see that where they're going to go. I, I'm much more interested in their potential. I, I appreciate the fighters that are pound for pound. You know, I appreciate the Demetrius Johnsons and the, you know, the the, the Daniel Cormiers and, and the Joanna Dracek. But I like to see the the ones that are still kind of forming as fighters. And, and I can see I can see that their potential is so much greater than anybody we've ever seen before. So. You know, it excites me about where the sport and mixed martial arts is going. And uh, what do you want Connor to do next? I mean, what Connor does next will be up to him and I guess Dana, but mainly Connor. But what would you like him, from your point of view, Dan? What would you like Connor to do next? See, to fight Ferguson? Yeah, I, I would like to unify the belts. I think if he's ever going to be considered, you know, he's made more money than he's going to need now. Yeah, he's, he's family and his friends are set for life. He can focus on the things that he wants to do now. What I want him to do is I want him to care about his legacy as a, as a, as a martial artist, which I think he does. 
And I think the the right thing for him to do, the temptation is the money fight, obviously, but the right thing to do is to fight Tony Ferguson and unify the belts. And that's really a shortcut to the top of the division because there are a lot of questions around him. He's, he's, he's had one fight at lightweight and he's yeah. a champion. Tony Ferguson's on this, this ridiculous run of, what, nine, ten fights. You know, if, if Connor can step in there and beat Tony Ferguson convincingly, then he is the champion. There's no doubt in it. Tony Ferguson's done the hard work and cleared out the division for him. You know, then the last question's Khabib, and that's, that's a huge fight in the future as well. But the, the, the logical uh, step is Tony Ferguson, then, you know, maybe a Khabib or a Diaz, or there, there are... You know, the lightweight division's so stacked. There are so many guys... I think it's one of the most stacked divisions at the moment, isn't it? You, you know, it always has been as well. I always remember thinking the lightweight division was... It's always been a shark tank. Every single person... You know, I, I look at the top... Well, you know, at, at least the top five fighters, they could all be champions. It's, it's difficult to separate them, really. Yeah, it's like a Game of Thrones there. You're right, you can make an easy, strong case for any of them to be the unified champ. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and that... I enjoy the process of them them figuring it out, you know? and like Kevin Lee just took a, a shot at Tony Ferguson, he did, but he, he he fell short right now. But we still look at him in that top ten and think he he's a favourite in most of those fights. Oh my word! And you know, when you talked about potential, uh, Dan, you know that yeah. Ke- Kevin Lee will, I think, if he realises that potential, that he's a future champ. He he looked amazing, even though he lost, he still looked fantastic and exciting. Without a doubt, he has that potential, that uh, that personality to back it up as well. You know, that's what we really look for. We need someone, you know, someone to kind of continue on where Conor McGregor's left. And Kevin Lee's, you know, he's learned a lot from Conor McGregor. You can tell. All right, one final question. I'll let you go. We have a a fourteen year old fight fan. He's called the Real Karate Kid. He does uh, Kyokushinkai knockdown karate. You ever done any of that? It's nuts. And I've I've, I've watched a lot of it though. It's fascinating. And yeah, it's a it's a very hard headed style of uh, of competition. Now, um, uh, we're about to speak to him, and uh, he's going through loads of old eighties fight movies at the moment, and he wants recommendations. When you were a young fight fan, what were the martial arts movies that really you got excited by? For me, it was like Bloodsport, uh, Kickboxer. They felt real to me. I remember watching that as a teenager. That one where Van Damme's kicking the pillar of a building and the building's shaking. And my dad was laughing, going, no man could do that. And I remember getting an argument with my dad going, no, I think he can. He's trained. He could break a baseball bat, dad, with that leg. The building's shaking. That's the chi in him, dad. It's the, that's his internal energy. My dad is laughing at me. But what was the movies for you that you liked as a young martial arts fan? Um, that's a great question. Well, yeah, Bloodsport was a big one for me. Kickboxer as well. You know, I, I love the Van Damme movies. Um, the realistically Enter the Dragon. I, I yeah. used to watch that. I have that playing in the morning before I went to school every day. <laughs> before going to school? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used, I used to just, I had a video player and, my, and a little TV in my bedroom. And as I was getting ready for school, I would just play it from wherever it finished before, I, you know, when I left the day before. So it was always on. It was always playing. I wore out so many of those tapes. If you ever do fight again, Dan, and uh, it's in the UFC, I want to see one of those UFC countdown videos, but it begins when you wake up in your bedroom, watching that again, getting your nunchucks out, looking in the mirror, you know, ripped like uh, like Bruce, and then heading out in a yellow all-in-one jumpsuit. L- lacing up my A6 tie with my, my yellow got- well listen i'll let you go dan please come on the show uh, again I've, I've loved chatting to you mate you know i find you an interesting soul and i think you're real you're a real true martial artist you throw the very very best in what martial arts do and as a commentator 
you're doing great work, mate. You're growing all the time. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure watching and listening to your journey as well. Thank you, my friend. It's been great talking to you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.